welcome to Cutting the Ball in the Post-Truth Apocalypse. I'm Ben, and as always, I'm hanging out with Mike, Hello. Claire, hey. and my anorak in place of Pete. <laughs> Pete is not with us, my anorak has taken his place. We wish him all the best in it and a speedy recovery from his minor surgery. A tough plea and pull that It's technically minor surgery. Yep. I suppose so, it is a part of your... Mouth and jaw. He's one percent less than man he was. <laughs> yeah, so it's just the three of us tonight. It's a good job, really, because we're doing an anthology of the strange. I like an anthology of the strange. You haven't had one for a while. No. In fact, ironically, I don't think Pete's actually done an anthology of the strange with us. No, he misses it, does he? I think this could have been. This is going to pop his cherry, and well, he can get to listen to it, and hopefully, he'll be with us next time. We do what. He's with us in spirit as a weird, creepy force ghost lingering mm -hmm. in the corner. It's Halloween nearly, isn't it? Yeah. But we're recording this on the night before Halloween. Mm. I will thank some new and returning listeners, and then we'll crack on with it. Niles, Michigan. Juan Enrico in the Dominican Republic. I don't know if that's how I say it. Telford in the UK. That's our hometown. Multan in Pakistan. Rio de Janeiro. Costanoli in Kazakhstan, well I've seen you before, welcome back. Frankfurt and Maine in Germany, you're always there, well done, congratulations, thank you very much. <laughs> Denver, Colorado, Port McGill, Missouri, Newbury, United Kingdom, Carnal in India, Ashburn, Virginia, Seattle, Washington, Bengaluru in India, Stevenage in the UK, Madrid in Spain and Guadalajara in Spain. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for listening, we have worldwide, we're reaching corners of the globe that I've never been to. The only flat earthers believe the only, in. We're reaching uh, corners of the globe that flat earthers don't believe in. They don't believe in Australia, do they? Some of them don't. No, that's true. They think everyone in Australia is an actor. <laughs> like the Truman Show. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Anyone that, if, every time you see an Australian on the news, Claire, that's not really an Australian. That's an actor from green screen. That's preposterous. What about all those years of neighbours and home and away? Oh, it's all fake. Mm -hmm. It's deep fake. Deepfake. It's deepfake, probably. Okay. Kyle is just a paid shill at this point, and so is Jason. <laughs> yeah. Apology of the Strange, its basic premise is we always have like weird stuff that we've got lying around that isn't quite long enough for an episode. So we gather them all together and stick them in an anthology of the Strange. Like a compendium of bullshit. Mm -hmm. Oh, just the plain weird. A lot of it is. is, is we've, got a bit of, we've got a bit of everything tonight, I think. Yeah. Yeah, mixed bag. I haven't shown you deliberately, Claire, because I wanted some, wanted some reactions. <laughs> All right, so let's start with the unbelievable story of Carlos Kaiser, the greatest con man in football history. Start with the first sport. Yeah. And when I say football, we're talking soccer. Yes. Not that awful game you played it's like rugby, but like for wusses. I didn't say that. <laughs> I don't understand it. It's just a bit shit for me. They they stop and start too much, like cricket. It's yeah. not flowing enough. I know what you're saying because it's like every time someone makes a tackle, they stop the game, and you're like, why? That was the good bit. Yeah, that was the good bit. What's going on? Anyway, Carlos Henrique Rapso, aka Carlos Kaiser, is a Brazilian former football player known primarily for having a decade-long career without actually playing a single game. This guy puts. Ali Dyer to shame. You're going to have to explain what Ali Dyer is for anyone who um, doesn't know. Yeah, he managed to con his way into getting a game for Southampton in the Premier League in the 90s. 
pretending that he was the cousin of George Ware, who won the Ballon d'Or. He was a Liberian yeah. player, probably the only Liberian ever to win the, the, the Balloon d'Or, if you may. Definitely the only Liberian. Yeah. <laughs> Great player, played play for Inter Milan. And, this, and Ali Dyer basically rang up Graham Souness, who was manager of Southampton at the time, and said, pretending to be George Weir, saying, my cousin Ali's fantastic. You should come down and give him a trial. And apparently he did okay in the trial, and Souness, for some reason, put him on the bench, brought him on, and he was so bad, he had to bring him back up again. Yeah. He subbed him again. Played about 15 minutes, didn't he? Mm. It became very clear, very quickly, <laughs> this guy was not a professional footballer in any way, shape or form. Right. It'd be like if they put any of us three on a football pitch <laughs> in the Premier League. Yeah. It would become very clear that we're not cut out for it. He did have a career as a footballer, but in non-league. Mm. Semi-professional. But this guy trumps him completely. Wow. So, as children, most people grow up dreaming of one day becoming sports champions, despite an obvious lack of athletic abilities. <laughs> it's true, though. Yeah. <laughs> most of us realise this to be nothing more than an impossible dream and move on. But a few still manage to find ways of making their goal a reality by any means necessary. This is a story of Carlos Enrique Raposo, a Brazilian athlete who wanted to be a footballer but did not want to play football. <laughs> And believe it or not, he managed to be just playing for a top-ranked Brazilian and other international clubs for over a decade. The playing isn't the right word, as he never actually played an official game in his entire 12-year-long career. Yeah, I went on his Wikipedia page, it shows you a list of all the clubs and appearances and goals. He's got a list of clubs and he's got naught, naught next to each one. (laughs) (laughs) Carlos Kaiser, nicknamed Ern due to his alleged resemblance to German football legend Franz Beckenbauer, I, I don't know, it's interesting. Always knew that he had the physique of a professional football player, but not the necessary talent and skills to make the roster of top football clubs. So he relied on a variety of tricks to build himself up as this great player that every team was after. Raposo started his youth career at Botafogo before moving on to one of Brazil's most popular clubs, Flamengo. In 1979, during a training session, he impressed the scouts of a Mexican club, Puebla, and spent a few months overseas before being released without playing a single official game. It was upon his return to Brazil this great charade began. Now, what he lacked in athletic ability, he more than made up in show social skills, befriending a number of high-profile players at various clubs, as well as journalists, all of whom he uses a network to facilitate transfers and build up his image without ever taking to the field <laughs> in official games. He's in that Carlos Kaiser. Fuck, he's a Brazilian Beckenbauer, mate. Yeah. You see him? It's fantastic. If doesn't know, Franz Beckenbauer was one of the best... Well, he was a sweeper, wasn't he? Yeah, his defender. So. Yeah, one of the best players of his generation. German captain, won the World Cup. So being obviously liking to him mm-hmm. at the time, and we're talking the late 70s, was this? Yeah. And I'm sure he's only just retired at that point. You know, hell yeah, yeah someone said the next Franz Beckenbauer, fuck yeah. yeah. Carlos would begin his ruse by signing short contracts and stating from the beginning he needed to work on his fitness to become match ready. This gave him five weeks to impress the team in physical training where he would truly shine. In team practice games, he often faked hamstring injuries to hide his poor skills. Uh-huh. And if teams wanted to investigate further, he had a dentist who always confirmed that he had a focal infection. I don't know what that is. Something to do with the teeth, I'm guessing, because it's a dentist. Such rudimentary deception tactics wouldn't work nowadays, but you have to keep in mind that technology in the 80s didn't allow clubs to verify whether players were faking injuries or not. 
Thus, Carlos Garza managed to spend several months at a club without setting foot on the pitch in official games, but this was only part of his calm. The untalented footballer would also rely on journalist friends to hype himself up with fake articles about what a wonderful player he was. One article claimed that he played so well at Puebla that he was invited to become a Mexican citizen. Uh. (laughs) Uh. While another claimed he had been a top goalscorer for French team Ajaccio, where he allegedly played for eight seasons. Raposo's friend, Fabio Fabino Barros, who actually played four seasons at the French club, later confirmed that he'd actually never been to Corsica, which is where <laughs> the club's based. Another way that Kaiser hyped himself up was to make to use toy cell phones to fake conversations in foreign languages and re- make, reject made-up transfer offers in public. Uh, he wouldn't use photos of himself wearing an, a, 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 Jack, a Jacio jersey that his friend Barros had given him and a fake ID card to prove his CV as a footballer. <laughs> This guy's got some balls, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. Massive steel ones, <laughs> really. This, uh, I love me a good combat story. Yeah. The only time when Kaiser was actually close to having to take the field was during his time at Brazilian club Bangu. Tired of seeing him training all the time but never actually playing, club patron Castor de Andrade instructed the coach to put him in regardless of his physical condition. While warming up, Kaiser started looking for ways of avoiding play and found his saving grace in the opposing team's supporters. Seeing a group of supporters verbally abusing his teammates, Kaiser rushed straight into them and got into a fight for which he immediately received a red card before actually setting foot on the pitch. (laughs) That's genius, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. When When confronted by Andrade, Raposo made up a story the opposing team supporters have called the patron a thief and he was only dema- only defending his honour. Only defending your honour. <laughs> they called you a thief, mate. <laughs> what do you want me to do? Stand here and just take it. I'm defending your honour. So he gave him a six-month contract extension. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, genius. I don't know she was getting paid as well. Imagine the same as a lot of squad players at the time. Whatever that was, yeah. he pretty that's Brazilian league, so I, don't, I wouldn't understand. He did play at some of the top, well, he, play, he was <laughs> contracted at some of the top clubs as well. During his unbelievable career, Kaiser was registered at several prominent Brazilian football clubs, including Vasco da Gama, Independente, Fluminense and Flamengo, but he never actually played an official game for any of them. His football career was so unbelievable, it inspired both a book and a popular documentary, both titled Kaiser... The greatest footballer never to play football. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. There we he's go. He's a lifestyle, didn't he? Yeah. And it's the rep, isn't it? Like, mm. He just pulled women. I'm a footballer. I play, I, I'm an I'm a t- independente. Yeah. I play for them. Well, I don't actually play for them, but I don't know. He'll tell them. Yeah. <laughs> I was top scorer in the French, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the French third division one year, you know. Mm. Here I am in a shirt. Look at that. <laughs> Have a girl, anything, and you know, she wouldn't check anyway. She's like, Oh, football, oh, great. <laughs> well, those Brazil footballs that everyone knows football in Brazil, don't yeah. they? It's, there's not many Brazilians who don't either like it or play it. Fair play to him, it's a grift we can all only dream of. Yeah, totally. Have you ever heard of the phantom time hypothesis theory? I have actually, yeah. I haven't. Apparently, according to this theory, it's actually the year 1720, well, adjusted for inflation. <laughs> this, this, is two, this article is 2017. 
five years on that. It's seventeen twenty-five. It does say it's updated July the eighth, twenty twenty-two, though. So. All ah, right, there we go. Then seventeen twenty. According to the Phantom Time hypothesis, the Middle Ages were fake. Charlemagne never existed, along with two hundred ninety-seven years that were just made up. What? Just made up. In a world where every idea seems divisive, it can help to know that there are at least a few things that the whole world, as a whole, agrees on. Time, the calendar, and the basic idea of history as we know it happened pretty much like historians say it did. It's just a few of those things. We can all agree it's 2022, can't we? Yeah. Wrong. Hmm. No. Wrong. Dead wrong. Well, just now, that's all it is. All it, the time is now. Yeah, but we can all agree that it's 2020, the year. I mean, everyone, everyone in the world agrees that we are in 2022. I'm running on 1720 time. <laughs> <laughs> You're in for this, are you, Mike? Yeah. Electricity hasn't been invented yet. <laughs> Why are you wearing... That's actually an oil lamp. <laughs> Why are you wearing nylon, then? <laughs> I'm not wearing cotton. <laughs> and polyester mix. Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mike sat here dressed for the, like a pilgrim with a buckle on his yeah. hat <laughs> and a black square cloth suit. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen them horses' carriages about? Belfast, are they? Why well, they haven't turned inside out? Have you seen Smokey to mobile phone? Mm. <laughs> Burn him, he's a witch! <laughs> Look, he does all this. Uh, <laughs> I can call someone uh, I want to. <laughs> Devil in a box. <laughs> <laughs> well, apart from Mike's psychotic break, he's had, there's also a German historian, Herbert Illig, he reckons the year is actually 1720, the Gregorian calendar is a lie, and a chunk of the Middle Ages was completely made up, and apparently he's not crazy, at least not officially. <laughs> and he actually claims to have archaeological evidence to support his case. Okay. Now, in 1991, Illig proposed his theory, aptly called the Phantom Time Hypothesis. He claimed there was a conspiracy entered into back in 1000 AD to change the dating system by three world rulers. Illig claims that Pope Sylvester Stallone II, (laughs) just Pope Sylvester, Holy Roman Emperor Otto III and Byzantine Emperor Constantine VII. God, fucking, I'll tell you what though, joking aside on the Sylvester Stallone thing, the Rocky films really helped me out with Roman numerals. Yeah. (laughs) As well as Star Wars. If it wasn't for them, I'd be shit at it. (laughs) Anyway, those three boys all got together and changed a calendar to make it seem as if Otto had begun his reign in the millennial year of 1000 AD rather than 996. Okay, that only claims for four years. Ah, yeah, okay. Right, the reason being that 1000 sounded a lot more meaningful than 996. I guess so, if you've got an eye on history. You yeah. Remember everyone as well, it's it's 1000 AD. Everyone thinks Jesus is probably going to rock up in 1000 AD. They all thought he was going to rock up in 500 AD. Did they? Oh yeah, yeah, Christ was coming back 500 He's AD. He was coming back, innit? Well, it's because it's a landmark. It's like, remember when the 2000 rolled round and everyone mm. was going nuts over that? Oh, the Millennium Bug's going to oh, do I this. It's going to be the end of the world. Bug, wasn't it? Yeah, but people were still like, oh, it's going to be the end of the world, or Christ coming back, or it's the rapture. Because it's this big date, isn't it? It's a turning mm. point in history. It's turning from one period of history into the next. So, the 1000 AD, if you're a Roman emperor with your eye on history, 
Sounds a lot better, doesn't it? Yep. And if you're in charge and Jesus comes back, well, fucking hell, you might get into heaven for that. One would hope. <laughs> Illig further claims that the trio altered existing documents and created fraudulent historical events and people in order to back themselves up. He claims that Holy Roman Emperor Charlemagne, who apparently we are all distantly related to somehow. We are, yeah. Obviously, the great, late, great Christopher Lee was more closely related to him than most, but that guy was a certified badass, so it doesn't surprise me. Well, that's just basic maths, isn't it? If you go back further enough... Oh, yeah. We're all going to be related to somebody yeah. eventually. Yes, but Christopher Lee was actually a descendant. Oh, was he? Yeah, like a direct... He could trace his lineage back to Charlemagne. Cool. Yes, Charlemagne was not, in fact, a real ruler, but simply a King Arthur-type legend. He explains that through all of this tampering and forgery, an extra 297 years were added to history. But why? To make it look cool. <laughs> Just because he said, I-, I want to be ruling in 1000 AD. Yeah. Well, that only counts for four years. He's saying now the rest of the 297 years is because they just made up Charlemagne and just... But why? What was the point in it? What advantage? Well... Illig says that an inadequate system of dating medieval artefacts, as well as an over-reliance on written history are to blame. Obviously, written history is terrible. Any written accounts from the time, write them off, says Illig. Well, I know that some historians are quite against sort of things that pop up in the in the past, you know, they dig up and stuff. It doesn't match. Yes, um, yeah, I know the what you're time saying. frame. So there might be some discrepancy there but yeah well according to his research the years between 614 and 911 AD don't quite add up the years prior to 614 were full of historically significant events as were the years after 911 AD however he claims that the ones in between were unusually dull 911 I know He also points out that the mathematical discrepancies between the Julian and Gregorian calendars further complicate things. The Julian calendar says that a full year is 365.25 days long, whereas the Gregorian calendar, the one we use now, says it's actually 11 minutes shorter than that. Furthermore, Illig claims that Roman architecture in 10th century Western Europe is far too modern for the time (laughs) period in which it was supposedly built. Doing this fucking Romans down, eh? Though it is phantom time, hypothesis seems far-fetched, he's actually managed to find some supporters. Dr Hans Ulrich Niemitz published a paper in 1995 titled Did the Early Middle Ages Really Exist? in which he claims they did not. To quote him, he says, Between antiquity, 1 AD, and the Renaissance, about 1500 AD, historians count approximately 300 years too many in their chronology, Niemitz wrote. In other words... The Roman Emperor Augustus really lived 1,700 years ago instead of the conventionally assumed 2,000 years. Some of the claims echoed Illig's, such as the discrepancy between the Julian and Gregorian calendars and the lack of reliable historical sources, although Nimitz did admit a counter-argument could exist as the Byzantine and Islamic regions were at war during the period, which was well documented, Hmm. although Illig would say, no, not good enough. (laughs) Written history from that time period... Explicitly recorded. No, scrap it. Lies. It's <laughs> the only proof you have got, isn't it? Mm. Written testament from people. Of course. People's diaries, whatever. Yeah, you know, that's... If they, you know, parchments, whatever. 
That's, I mean, that's why the burning of the Library of Alexandria was such a big blow to the early history because all the shit was being was kept there. You know, all the, yeah. all, all the great, all the new accumulated knowledge of mankind that we got was stored there and it all went. Yeah, it could have held keys to all sorts, couldn't it? Hmm? Who knows where we'd be? Mm. However, most historians worldwide are critical of the Phantom Time Hypothesis. Countless historians have chosen to argue it or, and have used recorded dates of solar eclipses to do so, along with documented histories from other parts of the world that overlap the missing time yeah. periods. So, Illig is probably just a bit mad. I'm not buying into it. No. Astrology no. Would, wouldn't, you know. The discrepancies between... The... Wouldn't it really, because it's a scientific mm. thing in itself? Well, yeah, if someone's writing down a solar eclipse happened today and this is the date, you just go back and check that, can't you? Yeah. I can understand the discrepancies between the calendars. 11 minutes a year, is it? Shorter, yeah, we are the Gregorians off the Julian. But that still isn't going to be 300 years, is it? It's just going to be a few weeks, isn't it, or something? Over I don't time. Know, given... I don't like the one that the Roman architect just too modern. <laughs> it's like, no, they couldn't have done that. So the pyramids go again, isn't it? I saw that argument go again today. That it was aliens or we had help with the pyramids. I just don't get it. I, just, I don't see how anyone can make that argument. They're going, you know what? Yeah, all right, they're big fucking blocks. When you've got 10,000 people pulling a block, it's not so much, it's not so bad, is it? <laughs> this was on National Geographic, I think. Really? Yeah. Wow. The guy that really supports the, you know, because we, we'd have trouble making it today. That's his... You know, mm. if we'd have trouble making it today with what we've got today, I'd would we though? What are you saying we would? Yeah. He's probably a bit. The thing is though, he's just the guy that does ancient aliens. Mm. Unless he's got a degree in engineering, I don't know what he says because he doesn't know. Mm. If you think about it, he's as well qualified to talk about that as we are. Yeah. You know, I don't I ain't think qualified to talk about shit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like he's presenting himself as an expert. Yeah. Oh, we couldn't build that today. Well, I bet we could. We can lock up towers that are a few hundred metres in the air. I reckon a pyramid's not too, not too bad. <laughs> it's the simplest geometric shape to build. Isn't it? It's just a pyramid. Yeah. It's basically just a pile. <laughs> Why haven't we built any more, then? Fashion moves on, Claire. Oh, yeah, pyramids are so... The pyramids are so, like, 1700 BC, yeah. or whatever they were. Probably older than that. Here's a fucked up fact, actually. Go on, then. What I find fascinating is that Cleopatra, who we consider to be ancient Egypt, had teams of archaeologists exploring the pyramids because they were fucking old to the Egyptians then. Uh. Mm. They're like, wow, we've got to figure out why people did these. We've got to go and explore them. Where uh. the fuck did they build them? And we consider her to be ancient Egypt. Mm. Yeah. Because the Great Sphinx is actually meant to be some sort of like dog type. That's how it used to be. Now it's sort of more of a cat. Yeah, well, yeah, it looks like Pharaoh's face to me. I always yeah. thought Sphinx was a cat. I always thought it was a cat. Hands. It was a lion, wasn't it? Yeah. It was Leo, wasn't it? But then you've got the. There's meant to be that hidden chamber underneath. If they'll mm. never let anyone down there to find that out. It took them years to get through that fucking tunnel. Mm-hmm. There was just another door. Be fucked up if there was a UFO in it. <laughs> they would. Maybe that's what they don't want us to go down there. Mm-hmm. Fossilised lights. Absolutely. All right. What What's, do we think of this then? Well, I think it's bollocks. Yeah, I'm not buying it. I don't think you can just discount written history. <laughs> you know, it's 
the monks at the time kept meticulous mm. records because that was kind of their job. You know, you got the Doomsday Book. Oh, that's, is that rubbish? That's 1066. That falls in this parameter. No, it doesn't. It's a bit later than that. So, Middle Ages, isn't it? Um, yeah. Nah, people were writing stuff down. I know it was the Dark Ages, but people still wrote stuff down. Yeah. Oh, it might be horribly confused or stolen from another source. If they weren't there, then 300 years, you know, there's there's scientific breakthroughs and, and people learning from people during those 300 years. So it's a case of, you know, you can't just jump from knowing X to knowing Y, can you? No, I've I mean, explain that a bit you've got to have development, thing. haven't you? Yeah. So we'll say, I don't know, you guys, early Middle Ages... You could say that the armour started off as leather and chainmail, and on the end they had sophisticated modern armour that you could move around in plate armour. Yeah. You could jump onto a horse wear and you're just as agile, but you're covered in steel. Yeah. Well, it takes, doesn't, you don't just go from there to there. You've got to have development, haven't that's you? That's it, that's what I'm getting at. Technology well, supports yeah. it. The t- technological advance supports it. I just don't see the point in it. What's the advantage? PR. Taking the 300 years away? Yeah. What advantage is it? What does it do? I was going to say, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't really matter whether it's 1700 or whatever or 2022. Mm. The, the time is now. That time still happened. Yeah, it's just a number, isn't it? Yeah. Year's just a number, man. Yeah. <laughs> Although Robert B, in the comments, he disagrees with us. Oh, yeah, so he does. Bob um, Bobby. Bobby B. Do you want to see what Bobby B says, Mike? There isn't even a shadow of a doubt now that those years were faked. You cannot find anything happening in those years at all. The Dark Ages are a cover-up. Yeah, I'm sure they are. <laughs> all right, Bobby B. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was just a terrible sort of period where, you know, people didn't have a lot, so a lot wasn't being written down. Maybe it was relative peace, you know. No, there was a lot of fighting going on the years after the Romans left. There we go, then. It was, a, it was a bit chaotic. that's why no one really got educated apart from the monks and the priests. I don't know much about the Dark Ages, so I'm, I'm no not pretending really, I, I do. No, no one really does, to be fair, that's what they call the Dark Ages. But they weren't they, faked. I don't think they were faked, no. The techno- surely the technology advances match up, don't they? It's like we said, you know, you go from this to that, you just lose a lot of stuff, they had to come back to where they were. Okay, shall we move on? Yep. Signalman Jack. <laughs> Oh, I've, I've heard of this. The baboon who worked for the railroad... railroad I always struggle with the R's on railroad. He did. I know, but if I say it off the top, I'll go railroad. Railroad. And he never made a mistake. Signalman Jack, wow. Nice. Who doesn't love a baboon who's mm-hmm. got a career? Or any kind of monkey. One day in the 1880s, a peg-legged railway signalman named James Edwin Wide was visiting a buzzing South African market. I love that. He's just an American railway guy. He just fucks off to us. Oh, no, is this in... Oh, this is... Really in South Africa, isn't it? Yeah. Pi- as in pirate peg legged. He's got no legs. Both of them. Looks like it in a poster, in the, in the picture. Crikey. He's, 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 the, he's the early Oscar Pistorius. <laughs> he is, yeah. He witnessed something surreal. A baboon driving an ox cart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Impressed by the primate skills, why bore him, named him Jack, and made him his pet and personal assistant. Wide needed the help. Years earlier, he'd lost both his legs in a work accident, which made his half-mile commute to the train station extremely difficult for him. So the first thing he trained the primate to do was to push him to and from work in a small trolley. (laughs) (laughs) How do you teach him to do that, Jesus? 
you sit in the trolley and go, oh, push me, push me, man, push. push. Just make the motion, push. Because you couldn't even show him how to push because you're peg-legged. You know what, you've got to fucking trust that bunky though, and you, that baboon, because there's every chance he's going to just give you a proper push and send you down the hill. <laughs> Soon. Through the shackles of, <laughs> <laughs> of, of slavery to yeah. this man and just off him. <laughs> well, soon Jack was helping with the household chores, sweeping floors and taking out the trash. But where Jack truly shined was the signal box. As trains approached the rail switches at the Utenhagen st- train station, they toot their whistle a specific number of times to alert the signalman which tracks to change. By watching his owner, Jack picked up all the patterns and started tugging on the levers himself. Soon, Wyatt was able to kick back and relax as his furry helper did all of the work, switching the rails. At this point, if I'm his boss, I'm like, well, you know what? We're just going to keep the baboon and fuck you off, mate. (laughs) He got no legs. He brings him to work, doesn't he? Yeah, but Jack could just get there himself. (laughs) He knows the way. He's going to push him in a car. (laughs) And he... Save a lot of money, wouldn't it? Oh, you're fired, mate. I'll just give this guy like five bananas a day. You fucking love that. No, you'd have to pay him to to send the monkey, though, wouldn't you? Because it was his monkey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would be questioning why I need the two of them. I'll just send the monkey then. So I tell you what, I'll buy. I'll I'll, I'll do is I'll buy the baboon from you for like a year as you're worth your salary and just fuck you off. How does that sound? How about I send the monkey and just keep paying me? Yeah. He can sit at home all day. <laughs> you think if he's sick, he sent the, the baboon in? Yeah. And just like, I won't be in today, boss, I'm sending Jack in. <laughs> I can just imagine him pulling the bloody levers and go like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and he gives him a treat. Yeah. He's like, well, happy. Yeah. Thing is, I get the feeling that he probably just really did like it. He yeah. must do. He seems happy. I don't know what it is. Soon, Wilde was able to kick back and relax. Wilde trained the baboon to such perfection, he was able to sit in his cabin stuffing birds, etc., to a bit of taxidermy, <laughs> while the animal, which was chained up outside, pulled all the okay. levers and points. He's chained up. I guess that's just to stop him getting on the track. Mm. You know, if he sees something and his animal instinct takes over, yeah. it's probably best he stays on the platform. I'm beginning to question now, though. He's chained up. Yeah, happy the baboon really is. Yeah, yeah. As you, I hear where you're coming from. Maybe you're right, but at the same time, you want to be able to sit in your cabin doing your taxidermy. It's no good if he sees like a squirrel or something and thinks I'll fucking have that. <laughs> Darts off the track into an oncoming train while well, you just lost your pet baboon, your helper monkey, yeah, if you will. Yeah. Your investment. Your investment. Your easy day at work. And the guy that's taking the trash out and sweeping mm. the floor at home. Mm. Yeah, but the poor baboon's thinking, you know, all I have to do is sit there driving an ox cart all day. So you're pulling know, levers now. now. Pulling levers well, and but... waiting on your foot on this fucking crippled cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Viva la revolution! This is how Planet of the Apes starts! Yeah, he holds up the taxidermy every now and then and just taps it. Yeah. <laughs> Could be him. You know what? I bet he did stuff him. I haven't read, I don't know what happens at the end, but I'm willing to bet that he stuffs Jack. I bet he did stuff Jack. Oh, don't, don't, go, don't throw in animal abuse, sexual animal abuse into this as well. He didn't have a wife, did he? Well, we don't know. I don't think well, so. Boy, she, she might have looked after yeah. him, 
Well, as the story goes, one day a posh train passenger staring out the window saw that a baboon, and not a human, was manning the gears. You would freak out, <laughs> wouldn't you? Why is there a baboon? How rural are we here? <laughs> is the zebra a conductor? <laughs> if I go, that's the ticket office. Is it going to be a cheetah with a little hat on? Yeah, with a kiosk. <laughs> Where is this? Zootopia? <laughs> She complained to the railway authorities, but rather than fire wild, the railway manager decided to resolve the complaint by testing the baboon's abilities, and they came away astounded. Jack knows the signal whistle as well as I do, also every one of the levers, wrote Railway Superintendent George B. Howe, who visited the baboon sometime around 1890. It was very touching to see his fondness for his master. As I drew near, they were both sitting on the trolley, the baboon's arms round his master's neck and the other stroking Wild's face. Ah, so he does... He do I get think on. he'd be mm. quite poor Phil, do you know what I mean? They've got... Yeah. Their, their brains are ticking, you know, just as much as ours, aren't they? He, he can watch the trains all day. <laughs> or maybe as much as yours. <laughs> you <laughs> I'm a bit elevated above the baboon. Mike. I know sometimes, Mike... Are you really sure about that? <laughs> yeah. My appearance and manner doesn't always show it, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Clegg <laughs> like is slapping man. Slapping. You know what I mean? They're aware, aren't they? Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at he it. He seems happy. Yeah, yeah. I'm yes. looking at it like me dog, right? If he gets an idea in his head, like he, he wants that treat that's under the sofa, he's having that until I, you know, he will get it. It's on his mind then until I give in, get up, move the sofa, and let him to get it. But he'll just keep going at it. And I get the feeling that Jack has a similar thing. He's like, I want to do that. I want to pull that. Yeah. You know, yeah, it makes, makes him happy. It's make, yeah. Doing simple tasks, look, makes people happy. Look at every job. Doesn't make people happy. Well, sometimes. Humans yeah. aren't. Some people, some people like that shit. Assembly work. No. Well, say simple machine operating thing, packing. Some people. Well, some people. Jack is one of those people. Mm. He just so happened to find a baboon. That's very easily trainable and enjoys doing simple tasks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a one in a million chance. Uh, the best of it is, though, Jack got an official employment number, was paid twenty cents a day and half a bottle of beer weekly. <laughs> the baboon got yeah. half a bottle of beer a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sadly, Jack passed away in eighteen ninety. Which wasn't long after that bloke went to see him, sadly, oh, the yeah. chief inspector. After developing tuberculosis, he worked the rails for nine years without ever making a mistake. Evidence of perfectionism may be more than just a human condition. It's impressive, nine years without yeah. a mistake. I mean, right, there probably wasn't that many trains coming through every day. We're not talking like a major city station nowadays. We're talking some yeah. countryside station in the middle of South Africa. Yeah. So, you know, you might get three in a day, but fuck me, if he's doing three a day for nine years and not fucking up, you can't argue, can you? Wow. Yep, and there's a picture of them together, if you want to look it up, at mentalfloss.com. In all fairness, Mike, yeah, I can see the chain on the floor. Look, he's got plenty of slack on that. He can move yeah. around, he's not stuck, to, you know, he can go in the cabin if he wants. So yeah. it's just for his own safety. Well, fair play. Signalman Jack... Shame you got TV in it. Yeah. yeah, mind you, I suppose it was pretty rife about then, wasn't it? 
1890 South Africa, dry, dusty conditions in the bush. We've still got TB knocking around the UK, haven't we? I think you still can get it, yeah. Can you get it? Doesn't it come from cattle sometimes? Yeah. yeah. Cattle and badgers. Badgers, they think. That's right, that's what they call the badgers every mm. so often, don't they? There's a TB outbreak amongst them. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, RIP D Jack. Yeah. Alright, what have we got next? The US had a plan in the 1960s to blast an alternative Suez Canal through Israel using 520 nuclear bombs. Why doesn't that surprise me? Nuclear? Yeah. What are they thinking? They're thinking, that'll be quick and efficient. Yeah. It's the 1960s, it's the 1963. So remember, nuclear bombs are still very much like new. I mean, all right, 45 to 63, but they never really dropped and they've got loads of them. No, the any time they wanted to drop it, they wanted to do it in the Korean War, didn't they? They did, yeah. MacArthur petitioned Truman to drop battlefield nukes on uh, the Chinese. Yeah. They wanted to nuke the moon. They wanted to nuke the moon. I can't remember the reasoning for that, though. I was going to say, for what purpose? We have had it on, a, on something, mm. I'm sure we have. A declassified memorandum reveals a 1963 US plan to create an alternative to the Suez Canal. It would have excavated more than 160 miles through Israel's Negev desert with nuclear bombs. Mm. The plan never came to fruition, but having an alternative waterway to the Suez Canal could have been useful in March 2021 when a cargo ship got stuck in the narrow path and I remember that yeah. blocked the blocked the most vital, one of the most vital shipping routes in the world. Was a bit of a shitter. Yeah, but it would have left you know it all contaminated to fuck. Well, yeah. Yep. I guess being a desert, they didn't care, but... Yeah, but wouldn't it even be like, you know, if they filled it full of water, it would still be contaminated, wouldn't it? Yeah, but you're not getting out and swimming in it, are you? You're just sailing ships swim. I wouldn't want to be one of them sailors, would you? Oh, no, I wouldn't, no. Everybody just had to go inside for that bit. That's like a pass, Claire. (laughs) A lot of people, a lot of generals on both sides during the Cold War had what was referred to as a nuclear erection. (laughs) <laughs> they got these shiny they got these shiny nuclear bombs and they desperately want to let one off. Yeah. You ever seen the comedian Bill Hicks? Bill Hicks. I know I know the yeah, skit yeah. you're on about, yeah. The sketch, yeah. yeah. He's like the the they're fighting the Iraqis, testing all the new weapons, aren't they? Oh that looks we haven't tried that one yet. Let's see what that does. Yeah, B one, try it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That <one's> cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's true they've got these shiny things yeah, and they want to use them. Course they do. According to the 1963 memorandum, the plan would have relied on 520 nuclear bombs to carve out the waterway. The memo called for the use of nuclear explosions for excavation of the Dead Sea Canal across the Negev Desert. The memorandum was from the US Department of Energy backed Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. It suggested an interesting application of nuclear excavation would be a sea level canal 160 miles long across Israel. Now, conventional methods of excavation would be prohibitively expensive, the memo said. It would appear that nuclear explosives could be profitably applied to this situation. <laughs> Thinking of that bottom line? Of course. Also, the water, the water go rushing in there as well. and. You just don't know what you'd do to the crust in general, do you? And what you. It, it, Remember, you don't believe this how, is. How deep would you have to make it? What's the berth on a, a large container ship? I've no idea. Say it'd have to be, let's say, 100 metres deep or something like that. That's probably too big. All right, the Earth's crust is like 
60 miles deep, long, deep, isn't it? Mm. Something like that. Let's say they have to make it 50 metres deep and set the things off at 50 metres, one every so many couple of miles or something. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. As long as it's not along the fault line, I think you'd be all right, wouldn't you? That's true. Then again, what if it is and you don't know? <sighs> Listen, we're not being attacked. If you can hear that in the background, there are fireworks going off. For some reason, people think Halloween is now acceptable to let fireworks off. It is. Mm. Well, my dog doesn't like it, so. November the 5th, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Should be November 5th, that's it. They should have the silent ones, it should be a law banning the loud ones, I think. I just think public displays only. I don't think you can trust the public with fucking granite with black powder. <laughs> Every fucking year, I guarantee you, the, the hospital will see a surgeon, some dozy cunt who's got burnt or fucking lost fingers or something like that because they've let a firework off too close. There's always some idiot that puts one in his butt cheeks. There always is. Them, yeah, there always is. <laughs> don't know why. <laughs> They're idiots. Oh, yeah. As part of the pricing model, the memorandum estimated that four two megaton devices will be needed for every mile, <sighs> which well assigned calculated as meaning 520 nukes or 1.04 gigatons of explosive. But where's all the debris going to go? Up in the air. Into the air we breathe. Because yep. it's all it's going to be doing is nuking sand. Okay, so a lot of it's going to get turned to glass, isn't it? Or just be destroyed instantly. But at the same time, there's a lot of that dust and debris going to go up in the air. Radioactive debris now. Yeah. Don't forget. Fucking idiots, mate. The laboratory noted there were 130 miles of, quote, virtually unpopulated desert wasteland and are thus amenable to nuclear excavation methods. Okay. The memo conceived one problem. It might not be political feasible, as it's likely the Arab countries surrounding Israel would strongly object to the construction of such a canal. And maybe the objection to let off nuclear bombs next to their countries. Yeah. Yeah. That um, might also be another. That would be nice. Like, let's not have that massive cloud of radioactive dust heading over mm. us, please. The memo came as the US Atomic Energy Commission was investigating using, quote, peaceful nuclear explosions. Peaceful? Yeah, to dig out useful infrastructure. There were also plans to use this method to dig out a canal in Central America. Let them try it first, then. (laughs) (laughs) But Peaceful Nuclear Explosions Project remained experimental after the US found that 27 experiments with PNEs heavily irradiated the landscape. Fucking hell. And people started growing extra toes. Yeah, well, I'd imagine a lot of people got cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not good, but it's, it's um, strategic, isn't it? Because the Suez Canal is in Egypt, which is technically an eye of, ally of the Soviet Union. So if you can knock one up in Israel for cheap using 520 nuclear bombs, then your ally now has a, a convenient passageway through, doesn't it? So it's strategic, but it's still a little bit extreme, let's face it. Mental is a word I would put, what I would say. Fucking mental. Fucking mental. But like I say, nuclear erections. Mmm. Did you know that in 1973 an MIT computer predicted when civilization will end? Hint, it's soon. Mmm. <laughs> this is fucked up. 
1973, a computer program was developed at MIT to model global sustainability. Instead, it predicted that by 2040, our civilization would end. Seems about right, the way things are going. That's, not, <laughs> that's too far away. It's going to put me at fucking 60-odd. I, I can't be a fucking road warrior at 60 years old and civilization collapses. Yeah. Too old? Fu- I'd be fucked now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah but at least like, you'd, you're, you'd be old enough to sort of just... Yeah. Take your own life. <laughs> yeah, yeah just like, I've seen the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not getting eaten alive by Danny McBride. <laughs> I just hang myself. I don't want to be blinded by raiders, basically. <laughs> I don't have to live in fear of my, my little shanty village getting raided by the opposing town and me ended up getting horribly mutilated in some way. Or worse, killed. As soon as they start coming out of the hill, I'm going into the woodshed. <laughs> Burn it I won't down. be back. <laughs> I won't be dead, I don't care. <laughs> Many in history have made apocalyptic predictions that have so far failed to materialise, but the computer envisioned in the 70s has, by and large, been coming true. Could the machine be right? Oh, God, what if we are predicted to end with AI? Yeah, 2040, that computer's predicted that its successors will become smart enough to kill us all. Yeah. Probably it's planned it. It probably has. So the prediction, which has recently reappeared in Australian media, was made by a programme dubbed World One. It was originally created by the computer pioneer Jay Forrester, who was commissioned by the Club of Rome to model how well the world can sustain sustain its growth. The Club of Rome is an organisation composed of thinkers, former world heads of state, scientists and UN bureaucrats, with the mission to promote understanding of the global challenges facing humanity and to propose solutions through scientific analysis, communication and advocacy. Or, they're new like the world fucking order. building build group and they want the new world order. Yeah. yeah. It's the fucking Illuminati, isn't it, basically? Yeah. But, what World One showed that was by 2040, there would be a global collapse if the expansion of the population industry was to continue at the current levels. As reported by the Australian broadcaster ABC, the model's calculations took into account trends in population levels, population growth, sorry, pollution levels, population growth, the amount of Earth resources, and the overall quality of life on Earth. The model's predictions of the worsening quality of life and the dwindling natural resources have so far been unnervingly on target. Yeah. In fact, 2020 is when the first milestone envisioned by the World One that's when the quality of life is supposed to drop dramatically well. Mm, cost of living crisis, anybody? Yeah. The broadcaster presented this scenario and how it would lead to the demise of large numbers of people. At around 2020, the condition of the planet becomes highly critical. If we do nothing about it, the quality of life goes down to zero. Pollution becomes so serious it will start to kill people. Oh, it is. Which in turn will cause the population to diminish lower than it was in the 1900s. At this stage, around 2040 to 2050, civilised life as we know it on this planet will then cease to exist. So says Alexander King, the then leader of the Club of Rome and presumably one world government advocate. I think that's going a bit far. We'll cease to exist. No energy, no electricity. They say any civilization is only three missed meals away from anarchy. Mm -hmm. Well, it was nine missed meals. Well, I've heard three, but... Could be nine. But Either way... Nine if, is three days. You'd be very hungry after three If it days. doesn't become yeah. sustainable, 
for us to have electricity or Wi-Fi or TV, how long do you think the population is going to stand for that? So all the little threads that hold society together vanish. Yep, everything's starting to collapse as you can see it. Mm-hmm. All the institutions all collapsing. Democracy has been tested. It's not fair, it's not doing well, is no. it? You know, Hungary's already gone far right. The US normally almost did. Which is what happens when times are tough is people tend to go far right. Because it's always someone else's fault then. So it boils down to. Yeah. King also told ABC that sovereignty of nations is no longer absolute. There is a gradual diminishing of sovereignty little by little, and even the big nations this will ha- this will happen to. That's starting to happen now. The EU breaking apart. Yeah. Soviet Union. That was a little bit time ago, but the USA mm. coming soon. Maybe. Who knows? Civil war in America. Sometimes I think, fuck me, that's going to happen, and then it all seems to go quiet again. Yeah, you wait till the next flare point, innit? That's it. Wait till the next election. Mm-hmm. If Trump runs again. Which he probably will. I'd imagine. I can't see them fighting each other again. It probably won't be the same as the first civil war. It'll just be Republicans versus Democrats. They might right just split. Left or... They might just split, you know, have an amicable split and just say, look, there's no, there's no way we're going to reconcile this. And then you'll have the United States and the Confederate States. So it might not be violent, but I imagine there would be some violence. The tensions would build eventually, wouldn't they? Yeah. So, World 1, the computer programme, looked at the world as one system. The report called an electronic guided tour of our behaviour since 1900 and where that behaviour will lead us. The programme produced graphs that showed us what would happen to the planet decades into the future. It applied statistics and forecasts for such variables as population, quality of life, supply of natural resources, pollution and more. And following the trend lines, one can see where the crises might take place. As one measure to prevent catastrophe, the Club of Rome predicted some nations like the US would have to cut back on their appetites, only cut back their mind, for gobbling up the world's resources. But only cut back. We hoped that in the future world, prestige would stem from low consumption. One fact that has so far not materialised. Nope. Currently, nine in ten people around the world breathe air that has high levels of pollution, according to data from the World Health Organisation. Yep, 40,000 people in the UK die a year. Well, 7 million deaths a year worldwide, according to who? Estimated to be? That's just going to get worse and worse, isn't it? Yeah, of course it will. Mm -hmm. So, So, can we stave it off? Probably not. In all fairness, I don't think the world's going to change that fast. So you think we've got 20 years left, then? Ah, no. Things are getting worse and worse. Until civilization collapses. Speeding up, isn't it? I don't know if if we all live to see it. I mean, the economy died in 2008. It's on life support. It's only there because they've got quantitative easing, just pumping money into it to keep it afloat. Yeah. Once that goes, fuck. Back to Barsham with chickens. (laughs) Turnips. (laughs) What about everybody who hasn't got any turnips? Well, you're going to have to steal some turnips or kill someone for some turnips. Civilization's gone at this point, the police aren't there, it's alright. Run riot, anarchy! <laughs> yeah, I'll declare gonna, myself ruler of Great Dorley. There's going to be a lot of pain and suffering, Claire. 
a lot. Much more than now. Don't worry, Claire, you've got me as a councillor. I'll maintain order. <laughs> I'll take the throne. Throne? <laughs> <laughs> is that the catch, is it? You'll oh, save us if you're me. made emperor. I'll save us if I'm allowed to rule. As God Emperor. Maybe as God Emperor. As <laughs> I get older. <laughs> I will be alright then. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> well, I hear any confidence from you, Claire. Well, I'm just thinking it through, like, you know, so nobody would turn up to work. The, the work isn't there, the products aren't getting through, they can't be made anymore, they can't be shipped to where they need to be, there's not enough fuel to take the lorries. Even electricity, even electric lorries need to be recharged. There's not enough power to do it. The resources aren't there. So the logistics chain breaks down. You have like 50% unemployment. Maybe more. And the cost of a loaf of bread would just like, you know. But um, as this taken in cycle, I call it. The, the cost of a loaf, loaf of bread would hit the roof, like. Yeah, pretty much. You know, people wheeling their own wheelbarrows full of money. Mike sucking dick for bread. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, there's a lot of dicks in it. <laughs> I didn't say it was going to be easy. <laughs> I suppose what this hasn't taken into account is AI. Because if that does come into a point where it's like managing certain decisions, which I don't want it to, by the way, but that's probably what's going to end up happening, isn't it? To manage certain decisions. Yeah. Then... In the future, you'll be voting for an AI programme. <laughs> well... It's not so bad. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Might do better. They can't fuck it up as much as the humans have. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I don't like, then, is that humans are taken out of the decision-making process. Mm. Because don't, I don't Probably trust... Probably the best, though, isn't I it? I don't trust that AI, Mike. <laughs> you, what, you trust it now? Where things are going? <laughs> no, I don't trust the AI either, because it's going to turn out... Well, we're going to kill ourselves anyway, so they might just do it quicker and more humanely. What if they don't? What if it is Terminator? What if I am John Connor? <laughs> I don't like it. Either way, mm. so either way. But then again, look, all I'm going to say at the end of this bit, right, is that people have been predicting the end of the fucking world since the human race became obsessed with the idea of the end of the world. There's right? one thing that we we've could... been predicting it for hundreds of years, it hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen one day, but it hasn't happened yet. No matter how many predictions have been made, no one's got it right. Yeah, and humans have got, you know, a very strong sort of will to live, shall I say. You know, we can survive under a lot of conditions, so that is our favour, I, I guess. <laughs> well, it's something. And this was only a basic computer model yeah, at the time. It's a 1973 computer yeah. programme. Let's let's do a modern one and see what it says. And it goes... Yeah, but all our modern ones... Up, is... you, you spend a year doing it and then it tells you you've got six months left. <laughs> Shit. All our modern ones are saying we're fucked though as well, so... Yeah, I was going to say, surely they could re-duplicate this yeah. and it would be like next week. <laughs> but we are very good at solving problems. Sometimes it looks like we're going to leave it to the last minute if we do, but... We found enzymes that can eat plastic now, haven't we, and things like that. And yeah, yeah. Um, That's good. It's pollution. We'll figure something out as regards to the pollution. We can't let it get too far, surely. I mean, we've got to realise it's, it's... The thing is, 
what what bugs me the most is the people who make these decisions have got the guys who are polluting giving them money to not <laughs> to let them keep polluting. Yep. And that's just in Britain. That's in every yeah. country. The whole system's compromised, isn't it? Yeah. So you've got to you've got to reset the system somehow. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you'll do it. If we carry on as we are, yeah, we are fucked. But surely can't there's a, carry on with capitalism. But there's a lot of time to change. No one wants to say it. Oh, I'm not going through <laughs> communism again. That's not. Well, no, obviously <laughs> not. We've got to come up with a new system. Well, this is what I think. Something that the people have, so, we've got to have. A, we've got the people have got to have discussions about what comes next. Well, we've got to have, we've got to think. Clearly, the whole system we've got now is, doesn't work. And it's no failed, system, it's failing a lot of people. And, and, and no system ever has worked. Each system is, is born this, and dies. We need, we need to think of something new. You know, first of all, you had the serfs and that, didn't you? Has it went to Rome? Then you had feudalism that died. It turned into capitalism. It, you know. We need to think of something new and fast. Yep. But even so, I'm gonna. Pretty frightening, though, isn't it? Yeah, but like I said, at the same time, I come back to my point, man. Everyone predicts the world, every fucker's predicted the world's gonna end. You know, there's been so many predictions. And even, people love to talk about it. Even the computers are predicting the, the end of the world. <laughs> you know, I mean, but that predicted that in 1973, yeah? Well, things have changed for the better since 1973. Haven't they? In what terms? Well, we do use more renewable energy now. There are electric yeah, cars. Yeah, things are getting... Air pollution levels have tried to cut it. better. There's not Is many... There's not that many countries now just pumping shit into the sky. What, China? Apart from China and yeah. India. But at least the West's cut back on it a bit more than they... Not the US, has it? No. Some of us have. Mm. Either way, there's probably not as much going in the air nowadays, surely. I think it's still increasing. Oh, bugger. Oh, well... We're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Bring on the giant asteroid, I say. Mm-hmm. Bring it on. All right, because it's the uh, night before Halloween when we record, I thought I'd include one little spooky one. The Anguished Man. Is it a legitimately haunted painting? In the summer of 2010, UK resident Sean Robinson inherited an eerie painting previously owned by his superstitious grandmother. She kept it locked up in her home out of fear that it was a haunted object that attracted the presence of a shadowy ghost-like figure. The painting called The Anguished Man, and she believed it was inherently evil. Now, Warrenson was sceptical about its horrific origins, but kept the painting regardless, mainly because he just simply didn't believe that objects are cursed. However, he and his family started noticing strange things happening from the very day they bought the painting home. They noticed doors shutting on their own, strange ghostly lights appearing around the painting and the sound of a man crying. They even claimed to witness a dark figure of a man who accompanied the painting wherever it went. According to Robinson's deceased grandmother, the anonymous artist who originally created the painting was incredibly disturbed. The painter was so obsessed with his creation, he even mixed his own blood into the paint and tragically took his own life shortly after completing the painting. She stated that she'd received the painting as a gift from someone, but she was so creeped out by it she kept it under lock and key in the attic for 25 years. Mm. Perhaps the creepiest anecdote Robinson's grandmother noted about the painting was the fact that it came with a visitor. The moment she brought it home, she started to see a dark figure of a man in the corners of the house and also began to hear strange, unexplainable noises such as crying and moaning, and this occurred mostly at night. 
After Robinson took the painting, his family saw and heard the apparition as well. He reported, The noises have been getting worse and we've heard crying coming from the corner of our bedroom. We started seeing the dark figure standing at the bottom of the bed just staring at us. Fuck. It appears not to be a middle-aged man, but his features are not very clear. Creepy. Indeed. Take your painting back. <laughs> Burn. Burn it, yeah. Cleanse it with fire. Fucking too right. <laughs> Take it out of the garden, torch the fucking thing. After the family started noticing strange occurrences around the house, Robinson decided to set up a camera to record it during the night. When he reviewed his footage, he was shocked at what he saw. Objects move around, weird noises were heard throughout the footage, and ghostly lights kept appearing around the painting. He then decided to keep a video journal of the painting and record it to see what else it would do. He uploaded his videos to YouTube where he garnered over a million views. Okay, could be faked. Hmm. Due to all the strange occurrences in the home, Robinson's wife was understandably creeped out. What may have pushed her over the edge was one experience when she woke up in bed and a frightening figure was laying beside her. She was so traumatised by it, she didn't want to be in the same house as the painting. As a compromise, Robinson offered to keep the painting in the basement. Oh yeah, put it in the creepiest room in the fucking house. (laughs) Why don't you? Why would you have it in your bedroom? I wouldn't have it up on full stop, to be fair. Not because, well, alright, let's put it this way. I don't believe in ghosts, but also, it's a fucking, t- it's a horrible painting. It is. It is literally the, the face of an anguished man with empty eye sockets. It's horrible. Screaming, yeah. Screaming. And if it has got blood mixed into it, that's <laughs> fucking creepy as shit. <laughs> You don't want it for your birthday. <laughs> no, no, like I don't actually. Funnily enough. Surely, after the first time I've seen this shadowy figure in the corner of the room, or hearing, you know. Yeah, if I wake up and I hear the sound of a man crying in the corner, that painting's going straight out fucking side <laughs> yeah. and getting burnt there and then. <laughs> I mean, that's after the first time I hear it. Yeah, frisbee it straight out the window. Yeah, fucking go, boy, go! <laughs> Out the fucking house! There's nowhere on earth I'm putting it in the fucking basement, which is the creepiest room of the fucking house to start with. Yeah, but no one goes in there. Often, I guess. What if you have to? Anyway, it didn't stay there long. The basement was suddenly flooded and they were forced to relocate the painting back <laughs> upstairs. Even the painter tried to commit suicide! <laughs> <laughs> Took it back upstairs! Now I'm um, beginning to think that maybe they're bullshitting a bit here. If it's that frightened of it, you wouldn't have it back upstairs, would you? No. Like you say, you would burn it, you would sell it, you would get rid of it somehow. Yeah. Because according to Robinson and his family, the hauntings came back along with it when they moved it back upstairs. Well, that's it. At least he was just lurking around in the basement at that point. That's what I mean. No one went down there. But if it was frightening that much, they wouldn't have had it back upstairs, I don't think. No. Now, at one point, Robinson loaned the painting to a pair of paranormal investigators, John Blackburn and Ian Lawman. The two of them took the painting to various haunted places in the UK, because why the fuck not? <laughs> Take the man on holiday. Yeah. Might cheer him up. <laughs> stop crying. <laughs> yeah, stop crying, you cunt. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Most notably, they took it to Chillingham Castle, one of the most notoriously haunted locations in Britain. Allegedly... 
During a seance, the room went icy cold when a large, dark figure appeared in the middle of the seance circle. An alleged spirit then began pushing and throwing a large wooden bench around the room. When Blackburn began asking the painting questions, it's not fucking Vigo! (laughs) (laughs) Apparently another bench was flipped upside down violently by what was believed to be John Sage, one of Chinningham Castle's resident powerful spirits, who we think was showing his anger to a foreign, uninvited spirit to his castle. What did you bring this cunt here for? <laughs> He's brought the mood right down! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the anguished man. Mm. Apparently it was listed on eBay for £1,500. Did it sell? No. It doesn't say if it did. I'm guessing not, then. Probably because it's a horrible painting yeah it is Robinson's first recorded the painting on February 3rd 2011 he could do an hours of footage just a few minutes specifically the moments in which something unexplainable occurred the video appears to contain weird scraping sounds around 2.30am could be a rat <laughs> could be later in the video a door seemingly shuts by itself that moment was time stamped as taking place on February 14th at 4am that could have been the wind. Could have been. Robinson believes what he has captured is evidence of the paranormal. In another YouTube video, he caught more bizarre events. A timestamp that shows the video was recorded on March 23rd at 4am, 2011. Instead of objects moving around or doors slamming shut, strange lights appeared around the painting itself. Greg Newkirk of Week in Weird was a bit too sceptical about the phenomenon and noted it seemed to be too good to be true. Hmm... On June 16th, 2011, Robinson once again filmed the painting of the night. According to the video, the painting fell over of its own accord at roughly 3.25am. This was despite the fact the painting was leaning against the wall at an angle. The owner and his family also allegedly got nosebleeds after viewing <laughs> it. Viewing it uh, it's caused nosebleeds. It's quoting, he says it's been caused nosebleeds in people after viewing it. It's happened to my son several times. Stop looking at it then, you (laughs) cunt! People experience feelings of extreme nausea after viewing it, so for the time it's being kept safely locked away. Why would you be standing around that in the dark? I mean, it's it's just a horror. It's it's not a pleasant thing to look at, is it? If I had that hanging on the wall, I'd be like, oof, no, you're alright. Apparently, a paranormal investigator claims a painting contained two spirits, and one of the spirits' name was David. Oh, everyone knows a Dave. Yeah. Of course one was called Dave. <laughs> Fuck me. I love that paranormal expert. How would you get to be a paranormal expert? I think you give yourself the, that own certification, yeah. don't you? Because I've been starting to watch, because I want to do an episode on ghost hunting. So I've started to watch ghost hunting shows, like Ghost Bros and Paranormal Detectives. And it's just a bunch of grown men shouting into the air. Where are you? Tell us what you want. Why are you here? How did you die? It's just like, man, it's just... It's all his grown people shouting at the sky. Yeah. I've never seen good enough evidence for it myself. Even people's accounts that I know. But I think it can be explained in other ways. The brain hallucinates a lot. Fills in bits that we you aren't sure about or can't see properly. It'll fill in the blanks. Mm. Even photographs are dodgy. I mean, you know, it's like double exposures. 
orbs, just you know, bits of dust caught in the flash, or people go down, swear and over art that it's spirit activity. That's crazy. I'm sure it's very real to people. It is very real and to they people. Think it's, it's incredibly true, real yeah. to people. I don't get it myself, and I'm not. I say that I'd love to see a ghost, but I want it to be like a proper force ghost. Just gonna go here, hey, Ben. How's it going? I don't want some dark shadow. That could be fucking my imagination and poor lighting and anything like that. But I want it to. I want a proper force ghost to go. You right? What happens if they don't? What happens if they're like scary? Well, like on Ghostbusters. Well, in that case, then there's only one people, one bunch of people I'm going to call Claire. <laughs> and it's not going to be these ghost hunting people. I want the mm. Ghostbusters. And if that is the case, I am going to figure out. I'm going to get the best nuclear scientist on it to make me a proton pack, and I'll go into business myself with him. Because <laughs> ghosts will be real at that point, won't they? Yep. Yeah. Doesn't mean you want to catch them, does it? Yeah. Wasn't to be a Ghostbuster. You shake your head at me. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a Ghostbuster. It's my dream job. I want to know what that big red machine is, you know, where they keep them all. That's the containment thing. So they store all the ghosts. Well, where does it go to? It's just like a... You do find it in the cartoon. It's like a fucking quantum realm in there. Is it? Yeah. That's oh. Egon for you, genius. <laughs> I, I was imagining them in some sort of like big... Like tankered gas bottle type, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like a genie in a lamp sort of thing. Squeeze another one in. Squeeze another one in. <laughs> you don't take up much space, these ghosts. <laughs> but who just changed the bottle with? Well, Where are you going to give it to that? I Can I just keep it in the yard? <laughs> the bottom of the Mariana Trench. <laughs> Fire it into space, whatever. Just get rid of them ghosts. Yeah, I think it's space ghosts. <laughs> They'll be haunting us the second we get out there. It's a good job, it's a load of bollocks, isn't it? Yeah, I guess yeah. so. Alright, well, that's been our anthology of The Strange. You can follow us on Facebook at Cutting to the Bull in the Post Truth Apocalypse. Most podcasting platforms at Cutting to the Bull in the PTA. And YouTube, we are Apocalypse Bull. Give us a like, a subscribe, leave a comment. You know, whatever you want to do, reach out. Yep, any suggestions for any episodes? Yeah, we'll, we'll have a look into it, see what we can find. I've been Ben. Don't drink the flavour aid. Don't join a call. I've been Mike. Thanks for listening. Peace out. May the force be with you. I've been Claire. Keep an open mind, but not so open that it spills out your ears. Bye.